From WDBM East Lansing, this is The Undercurrent, a weekly radio show that brings you audio narratives produced by students at Michigan State University. Good morning, and welcome to The Undercurrent, Impact 89FM's flagship news and storytelling program. I'm your host, Sophie Sagan, and you're listening to Season 13, Episode 9. We're calling this week's episode Talking to Stanley, and that's because this week, producer Taylor Halterman, station manager Joe Dandron, and I had the privilege of talking to the president of Michigan State University, Samuel L. Stanley, about the school's reaction to the COVID-19 crisis. It has been a long couple of weeks. And let me start the show by saying that, first of all, I hope all of you are well and staying as relaxed as possible wherever you are. And secondly, thank you for tuning in. I know it's been a couple of weeks since our last show, and I have never missed the studio so much. As I record this, I'm sitting in a closet in my bedroom at my parents' house in order to insulate the sounds that you're hearing. There's been a lot of creative solutions going on lately, and I think we're doing pretty well overall, and I hope that you're finding your own creative solutions to dealing with what's going on outside. As for our interviews, we obviously can't get together in person, so a lot of them have been happening over the phone or over Zoom, and that's actually exactly how we got to talk to President Stanley, over Zoom. So I want to play the interview, but first, there are a handful of voices in there, so I'm going to do a quick roll call, if you will. So the first voice you hear is going to be station manager Joe, followed by President Stanley, who responds to him. And then Taylor and I begin the interview and we alternate questions, starting with, I'll ask the first question. And then when we're nearing the end, you'll hear one more voice, which is our supervisor and general manager, Jeremy Whiting, who's going to jump in and thank the president. And then the president will say a few last words. All right. So I think I got everyone. So let's start. Here's Joe's voice. Uh, nice to meet you, President Stanley. Um, you too. As well, over Zoom, of course. Um, but we really appreciate, you know, getting some of your time today. And, of course. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just do you echo what Joe said. Thanks so much for being here. I figured we can just jump right in. Does that sound all right? Sure. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, my first question is, can you talk a little bit about the current decision-making process regarding uh, continuing to hold classes online? through the summer semester two and fall semester 2020. Um, has there been a decision made yet? So no decision made on fall semester 2020. Um, we, we still need to see what's happening. Um, summer, I think first session, we've made a decision um, to go purely online for the first session of summer. Uh, we're looking at second session for summer, and I think we're leaning towards that being online as well. Um, the reason being is we look at kind of the timing of the epidemic in Michigan, where we stand. Um, I don't think we're going to be at a spot yet um, where the disease activity has gone down to the to the level where we think it would be safe. Um, that's, again, hard to predict. Um, but the other challenge is that we really don't have right now testing that would allow us to understand where the disease level is. And so one of the challenges we face is kind of recognizing what's the risk to an individual student, what's the risk to faculty members, uh, what's the risk to people living in dormitories and dining halls and so on if we bring everybody back. And to answer that question really well, it would be incredibly helpful um, to be able to test people, to be able to see who's had the infection already, 
Um, so therefore may have some immunity to infection. So these would be people who are what we call seropositive to disease, who test, who has virus currently, so may or may without symptoms or with symptoms, doing a swab test to see whether they're actually infected with virus, would be good to identify those. And then who are the people who are in neither category? So they're not infected, um, but they've never had virus. So they're the vulnerable population uh, at that point in time. So we don't have the ability really to do that right now well. And so until we have better data, it's hard to make predictions about when we'll be better at making those kinds of decisions about bringing people back and so on. We'll follow CDC rules. We'll follow what's happening, what the state wants us to do. Those are things that we don't control, but we'll follow those things. Um, but we really want to, you know, err on the side of safety to the extent we can. I know how challenging it's been for everybody to be online. It's extraordinarily challenging. And I think, uh, you know, not the way we want to generate all of our classes, obviously. There's disadvantages to it. There's some classes I think actually work pretty well online, but others not so well. So we want to get back to in-person. I want to see people on campus again. Um, it's really, you know, sad to see the campus as empty as it, as it is. You know, one of the things that we, you may want to ask me about is, we're thinking a lot about uh, you know commencement and graduation for seniors. Um, we're taking a look and trying to understand um, what we might be able to do in a virtual way. But I'm also absolutely committed to having an in-person um, ceremony for the class of 2020. So we might share it with 2021. We're still trying to pull students and understand, but we will do that going forward. To kind of follow up on that, what, if any, are the preparations being made for the students' actual return to campus, whenever that may be? So I think we're, we're looking at what's, what it's going to take. Um, what are we going to have to be able to offer in terms of dormitory space, in terms of classes, and so on. We're really going to expand online offerings this summer. So we're going to do more, and that will carry over into the fall. So we want to be prepared. If we do have to go back to primarily remote and online teaching, we want to have more courses available. We want to improve the quality of the courses we have. Uh, at the same time, we're thinking about how we would organize safely if we did come back. So what are the things we would have to do in our dormitory spaces? What are adjustments we might have have to make to how we teach classes. So one could imagine a situation where we might have smaller classes, but they'd be in bigger classrooms. So we might have a class that had 10 people in a class that was designed for 50 to allow us to do in person with social distancing in a safe way, uh, and yet maintain again and maintain that and yet maintain safety. So we're, we're really exploring all the options that we think we're going to have. And uh, right now, as I said before, we don't really have enough information to make a decision about fall, um, but we realize it's important to people. So we want to try and get there as fast as we can. So sort of switching gears just a little bit. So MSU recently opened up lot 100 as a drive-through testing location for COVID-19 um, and have been working to produce 3D masks and decontaminant masks with commercial ovens. Are there plans to offer additional help or resources um, for COVID-19 in the near future? So great question. And uh, I think we're, we're really working to do everything we can. Uh, you know, as, as the land grant institution essentially for Michigan, we feel a special responsibility um, to reach out and help the community and the state in any way we can. And I think many Spartans have, have been doing that in, in a number of different ways. You pointed to a couple of them. So our College of Human Medicine is really spearheaded, again, doing uh, a drive-through test to allow uh, people to get tested by driving by in their car. Um, we did that in conjunction with Sparrow and with commercial laboratories. Um, to do the testing for that. At the same time, just as you said, we've uh, submitted the FDA for approval, uh, a technique that allows us to use spiral ovens, which we have on our campus, um, to actually bake masks um, so they can be reused again and maybe up to 20 times, um, to, again, to deal with this issue around personal protective equipment for the people who are on the front lines providing healthcare. We have another technique actually we're looking at as well, uh, which uses vaporized hydrogen peroxide also to disinfect masks or gowns. 
compounds or other things. So we're trying a couple of things. Um, we'll see. We want to get this approved by the FDA, so we have to wait to get their approvals, but that's been submitted and we have people in Congress helping us. Um, we've tried to do other outreach as well. So we've been involved with discussions about surge capacity for hospitals. So if hospitals here should be overwhelmed, what space would be available for surge capacity? And we volunteered uh, some of our spaces for this. They may not turn out to be the best ones based on the decisions people make, but that's one thing we're looking at. And then we've volunteered to provide housing for, for healthcare personnel as well. So one of the things that really can be difficult for someone is they're afraid a healthcare person on the front line is afraid they'll infect their family. So sometimes living in a separate dormitory or space can be really helpful. So we've offered uh, space on our campus to provide that as well for people providing this kind of help. And then of course, we're doing things for students who have no place to go. So we're housing students. We continue to house students for, for where this is their home or students who aren't able to get back home. Some of our international students, we continue to house them and where they've needed to quarantine in some cases, we've provided special quarantine housing um, for them as well. So we're trying to do everything we can to help in this time. I think there's, there's more things we're doing, things Extension is helping with uh, on the front lines. But I think, again, it's, it's part of a tradition and uh, we're reaching out everywhere we can. One other thing is we've set up this uh, website um, for people who've recovered from coronavirus infection um, to find ways they might be able to donate uh, their blood um, to provide antibodies that could help others fight the disease. Uh, and so that's another thing we're doing nationally um, to help in this fight. That's really awesome. And one last question to kind of wrap this up. Sure. Uh, how has your background in the medical field and your wife's work in the medical field impacted your life in this situation? And how does it inform your personal outlook on the situation in Michigan? So what a great question. Um, so I think being an infectious disease doctor um, helps me kind of sort through all the things that are coming about this virus and all the things about its epidemiology, about its treatment and its therapy. Um, I think it helps me understand those stories better. Um, some of them I recognize, some of the things people are talking about have great potential. Otherwise, my you know, training would tell me they're less important. So some of the things, drugs people have been talking about and others. I think it gives me a, a unique perspective. And I think it's helped me forecast and, and, and think a little bit about what's happening in the direction of the virus as well. Um, on a personal side, um, you know, this is a scary disease. So, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I'm in an age group, a vulnerable age group, so I'm concerned about it. Um, my wife is working on the front line. So Ellen remains at Stony Brook University Hospital right now. Um, and she's actually on a floor that's taking care of COVID-19 patients. So twice a week, she's coming in and running that floor uh, in, in New York. So I'm concerned about her personal safety, but she's certainly not shying away from what she has to do. And then both of my daughters, one is an emergency medicine physician, uh, and the other is working in, in intensive care units in other areas of medicine at Mass General Hospital in Boston, and one is at WashU Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. So from a personal point of view, I'm very worried about them um, being on the front lines, but they're courageous. Um, you know, they're physicians, they, they're doing the job they were trained to do, and I really admire them, but I feel a little bit that they're sheltering a lot of the brunt of this um, for the Stanley Lee family. Um, because I'm here, you know, with my youngest son, Sam, and we're living in Cole's house, and it's very nice, and they're out there on the front line. So, uh, so personally, I'm worried about them, um, but I, am, I know they're very competent in what they do and very professional. But I do have, like others, I have people who are in, in harm's way, and so it concerns me. Well, President Stanley, that's our time. We really appreciate it. Uh, we wish the best of health to you and yeah. your family on the front lines, and uh, we Thank wish you well.
Thank you. And everybody's doing fine right now, too, by the way. But thank you for your concern. I appreciate it. Yeah. And all of you stay safe. Okay. I really, really, again, and I appreciate, you know, we've been doing good work in Michigan. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, we're going to see impact from this, from sheltering. It's, it's painful and, and dissettling and unsettling and um, difficult. Um, but everybody hang in there, you know, because I think we are going to get through this. Hang in there. I want to say one more time, thank you again to President Stanley for making the time to talk to us. For the second part of our show, we are rerunning a story that I produced a couple weeks ago. Now that we know that plenty of work is being done from campus, um, I want to air an interview that I did with my friend Karan about what it's been like to move away from campus. Usually when I think about Michigan State campus, I think of it as its own little bubble. And when I'm here to a certain degree, I feel separate from the rest of the world, from real life. But of course, campus is not immune to COVID-19 and we're shifting right along with everybody else. So far, the campus has moved to exclusively online classes and many of the students living in the dorms and in campus housing have moved home temporarily or permanently. So even though I'm supposed to be social distancing, which I am, don't worry, I still want to talk to my friends. I miss them and I want to know what's going on. So I called up my friend Karan to see what he's been up to since leaving campus. Before I play this whole thing, I just want to say I am most embarrassed by how my voice sounds right off the bat. I guess I thought it was funny to be interviewing my friend, but with that said, please enjoy my talk with my very charismatic friend Karan about his quarantine adventures. Because there are people who don't know you. Do you want to introduce yourself? I'll introduce them. Sure. Um, all right. So I guess I'll start with the name. My name is Karan. And I go to Michigan State with Soph. Soph or I call you Soph. And basically, um, I'm a pre-med. I'm studying kinesiology. And with everything that's happening with Corona, I was one of the majority that went back home, which is why I'm here with you today. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So why, yeah, what was um, the, like, main reason you ended up going home? So, I mean, honestly, if it was up to me, I wanted to stay in East Lansing. I, I could be with my friends, you know. It, I just, being home is just, it's not ideal, especially at this age, but my parents, they freaked out. When the school closed down, to them, it was like, you know, alarm bells going off, you know, stuff's going down. So they thought it'd be safer for me to stay away from everyone and stay in my brother's apartment right now. And then I'm, I'm going to go to them in a little bit. But when do you go back home, Soph? I don't necessarily have to be at home. So I'm just kind of like, eh, I might as well just be in my apartment working. I feel like I'm going to be even less productive if I go like hang out with my family. Absolutely. I completely get it. Because now that I'm up here, while I do get bored at times, because my brother is always working, but when I'm around family, I'm much rather you know, be watching movies or hanging out with them, talking, catching up, playing games, rather than, you know, working on organic chemistry. So what have you been up to when you're, like, not doing what you're supposed to be doing? <laughs> oh, I would love to say that, you know, I was doing, like, you know, trying to better myself, reading books, but in reality, just eating all the food that we've stocked up, which I probably shouldn't be doing. Literally, all of last night, I was just going through bags of chips. And then... um. As you know, I went full, like, Castaway Wilson, but with a potted plant. What do you um, mean? I, have you seen Castaway with uh, Tom Hanks, right? I'm guessing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he had the soccer ball that he named Wilson to keep him sane. Well, the first few days I was here, my brother wasn't here because he's in Philly for work. So as bored as I was, you know, doing nothing, 
I was because I've really gone into photography lately, so I wanted to take some pictures because his apartment is really nice, and I didn't have anyone to model with. So I took his, I took a potted plant that he had lying around, cut off a little thing of paper for my or go homework, drew a face and taped them on, taped it on the plant. I called him Pablo the Potted Plant, and I took pictures with the plant around the house as my model, and that's what I've been doing with my time. <laughs> As stupid as that is, but quarantine brings out crazy things. No, I love it. I have to get my potted plant this weekend. You did what? I need to get a plant this weekend. That was one of my plans. Oh, man, no way. And you know what? I'll have my plant do a podcast with your plant. And yes. Thing. <laughs> what would you name your plant, Soph? I think Agatha. Agatha. Okay. I love the name Agatha for anything that's like not a human. All right. So you're hanging out with Pablo a lot. What else are you doing? Yeah. So that's what, like, when you ask, you know, what have I been doing right now to keep in my time? It's just been that. And because Detroit is so empty, I know they're telling everyone, you know, to stay in, don't go out. I The apartment's really small, just two bedrooms. And I just, for my sanity, I just have to go on walks. You know, I'll take my camera and go off for walks. So I've been doing that to keep my time as well. Just, you know, taking pictures of the city because it is beautiful here. So that's what I've been doing. Nice. Have you met anyone? What about you? Oh, you know what? I have met someone. I told you about this guy. Um, just one person. Actually, two people. I met this guy while I was walking back from the river walk. And... At first, you know, because I was taking pictures, he was just, like, in a very aesthetic, like, placement underneath, like, a cool sign. So I was taking photos of him. He's like, hey, if you want to take pictures of me, go ahead. So I started taking pictures of him, and I asked him questions. And it's this, you know, like, 60-, 70-year-old African-American man. And he's like, yeah, my name's Hussein. And I was like, oh, that's a very unique name, Hussein. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And then he told me, you know, he's like, what's your name? And I was like, my name's Karn. He's like, no way, you're Indian. I was raised by an East Indian man. And I was like, all right, this is wild. And he's like, yeah, tell me more. And he said um, the man's name was Durpinder Singh, which is a Sikh person, the people that were the turbans. And he was telling me in his upbringing, this person that raised him grew up Hindu and then switched over to Islam, which, if you're from India, is very, very radical and, like, not heard of much. It just Hinduism and Muslim are, like, you know, polar opposites. They don't like each other. That was already wild. And he said growing up in that time, like, you know, he didn't know he was trying to find himself. So he was already confused, you know, growing up with someone that was not his race. And now that this person had changed religions, he got more and more confused. So he was like, you know what? And he's like, I didn't want to be Hindu. I didn't want to be Muslim. I want to be different. I want to be my own self. So he said, screw that. And he became a Christian. And I just thought that was interesting because what are the odds in Detroit when the city's on lockdown? I meet an African-American man by the name of Hussein who was raised by an East Indian man, you know, who converted religions. And if that makes sense, you know, it was just a very unique, random person that I'd never thought I'd run into. Leave it to you to be making, like, new friends in, like, a global pandemic. Honestly, what are the odds? What a cool guy, too. And, like, he had the greatest handlebar mustache, might I add. That was a lot of fun. So, thankfully, outside of the fact that I'm endlessly bored in the apartment, at least when I go out, there's some sort of adventure. All right. Well, I'm going to, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It made this a lot of fun. I had a blast talking to you. Good, good. As I always do. It's your first podcast of many. 
All right, dude. All right, well, I'll text you in a minute, but yeah, I'll jump okay, off now. We'll All right, bye. Bye. And that's it for our show. Thank you so much to our general manager, Jeremy Whiting, our station manager, Joe Jandron, and our programming director, Amber Knutsky. Again, from my little closet at home, I hope everyone listening is having a wonderful week and is staying safe and healthy. Until next time, you've been listening to The Undercurrent. I'm in this closet. From WDBM East Lansing, you've been listening to The Undercurrent.